Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hetland. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insights into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, hello everyone. I am Leif Hetland and welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I do have this great, great honor to be here with Dr. Randy Clark. Uh, He is a a friend. He is a mentor. He's a spiritual father. And he is the one that God used on June 6, 1995 uh, to lay hands on me. And this Norwegian Baptist pastor was baptized in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And I'm still burning today after all these years, 26 years. Welcome, Dr. Randy. Thank you, Leif. Glad to be with you. One of my, you're one of my favorite ministers in the whole world. Wow, that, that's that's such an honor. Tell me a little bit. I know you're married to Deanne. You have four children. Uh, you have some grandchildren. Just share a little bit about your family, because I know you have had some grandchildren probably in the last year, year and a half. Yeah, I have, uh, like you said, four children are all married. Three of them have children, three each. Um, a couple of them, um, the two middle ones want to have at least one or two more. And my youngest fa- uh, son and his wife haven't started having children yet. Uh, they're waiting a little bit. Um, my grandchildren, I have the oldest one is 12. The youngest one is about six or seven months. And I think I have uh, six under seven years old, almost stair step, you know, boom, 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 boom. And uh, I, I've always said I wanted 12, and <laughs> I think I'll have at least that. So that's kind of the family situation. All uh, all of them either have worked for me and my children, or or three of the four presently still do work for me in the ministry. Wow. Yeah, I, I have the honor of, we, we've talked about it right before this recording. Uh, I've tried for, I don't know how many years but when you were going to start your doctorate program, invited me to be part of the journey. And now all these years later, I've tried many times. And there's been, we talked about a lot of attacks from surgeries to spider biting me, scorpion. And then, and then finally, yesterday, I started the doctoral program with, with you. And, and I'm even getting teared up just thinking about it. I'm very excited that you are. And, uh, going to be part of it, and you'll actually be in my cohort group. Uh, I think we have 22. This is the first uh, time to offer the doctoral, both the D-Men and a THD, and uh, at our seminary. Of course, we've been doing a, a D-Men, Randy Clark Scholars, at a United Methodist Seminary for since 2010. Um, when I, when Tom and I, and you we were going to be a part of that one, and we gra- we finished it in three years, or actually two and a half, we were, got done before we were supposed to, um, but it was really good, and we have such lasting friendships. We've, I'm utilizing some of those people, and and now as mentors and teachers, and and I've always thought that this would be excellent for you, so I'm very glad that uh, you're going to be in it because I just. I, I know it opened up a lot of doors for me in that I, I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think it will for you as well. Cause I think your uh, ability to be able to speak into, in the different places for missiology and other subjects. And, and of course, being able to be one of our teachers in the future is, is uh, 
uh, exciting to me. Now that that is beautiful. Yeah, I was. I thought even having this conversation, you are kind of known as almost Mr. Toronto, going all the way back to January 1994. Describe a little bit of actually what would take place there. And then the next question I want to build over to that is because we are known as being renewal people and on the floor and all those different things. But but suddenly now, I mean, the, the tension of the word and the spirit uh, the tension where some people it's everything is the spirit, some people everything is the word, but you are having this remarriage of the word and spirit. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious. So take us to Toronto. What actually happened there and what are some of the fruit of it? Well, Toronto started out being a, for me, it, it started out as a watering hole for burned out, exhausted, tired pastors, missionaries who had just been faithful, but needed to be filled again. That's where I was at just a few months before Toronto. And uh, that was January of 94. So on August of 93, that's where I was burned out, needing a fresh touch from God. And so it was uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It seemed like that he was touching us and, and just giving us joy and emotional healing. I got emotional healing. I was uh, literally healed from being on the verge of a nervous breakdown at the time. And I was totally just, just a matter of in two days and like five different times or six different times being prayed for by Rodney Howard Brown. So for me, it was uh, renewal in the sense of let's be refreshed. God was doing it and he was doing it in a way I wasn't used to. You know, I was used to the tears, but I wasn't used to the laughter. Um, but neither was I used to the amount of power that we were seeing in the sense of bodies being thrown to the floor and shaking and sometimes violently shaking and, and people having visions and people having prophecies like, you know, the prophecy that he gave me for you and for Heidi and for actually many people. Um, and, and then the, the fact that he was using lay people as well. The, the ministry team that prayed for hours and hours and hours, and it went 12 and a half years, six nights a week, was primarily lay people. And uh, people like Joseph Garlington and a lot of really famous people went there, but the, the lay people didn't know who they were and just felt free to prophesy to them, didn't know that they were already famous and spoke to them. And so, uh, and then I think the other thing, lay was it started that was the way it started and about a year into it well for me it started with that but then when i started traveling away from toronto which was um probably six four or five months into it um i felt like that there were three things that uh, i preached on or four 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 things uh one i dealt with the prodigal son focusing on the father and the, you know, as two screw up sons and a, and a great father, you know, and, uh, and then, so that was part of the message, um, pressing in or spending, be spent, uh, pressing in dealing with the impartation, telling my story, uh, and this, this God said to me in, in Toronto, um, I heard a very strong impression here to be a firelighter, a vision caster and a bridge builder firelighter in the sense of the fire coming on people, vision casting, that it's for the mission field. 
As a matter of fact, I mean, you may know this, but the first week I was there when it first started, I heard David Reese's song for the first time, let your glory fall in this room and let it go forth from here to the nations. And I stood up first time I ever heard that song. And I said to John Arnott, I don't know what God is doing because it is all new. You know, Mm -hmm. this was kind of new to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) But I said, I don't know what God is doing, but I know what it's for. Or I don't understand everything he's doing, but I know what it's for. It's for that song. So when I'd go out to the nations then and to the churches in our nation, um, I, again, I dealt with the, the, product, the good father, and I dealt with the, the surrender our lives so we could be touched by the fire and the power and consecration, you know. But then a third message I had was about spend and be spent, which was a message that for the nations that what God is doing is not just so we can laugh, but it's so that we can be healed up and be so on fire and so much in love of God, we'll lay our lives down and, and as, as part of the thing, spend and be spent. Make me a coin in your pocket and spend me any way you want. Send me anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, the, one of the, the fourth message was kind of a transition message where it was about Jesus coming in a way we, is unusual. A way, you know, we, it was basically you known him walk in Matthew, him walking on the water. It looks like him. It sounds like him, but he's never come like this before. And so it's preparing the church that, you know, to allow for the, the, uh, where the scripture says, I'll do a new thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that we could see that's consistent with other moves of God in the past, but yet there's also newness in it. So that was, was the focus of those early, early years. So when you ask the question, what's been the fruit of just very quickly, uh, your life is the fruit. The million people that came to the Lord in your ministry and in, in uh, around the world, and particularly just in one nation in the Middle East, um, in first fifteen years after you were touched, is fruit. And I say, okay, there's one million. I know it's more than that now. At the same time, the million people that came to the Lord through Heidi's ministry in just the first fifteen. Now it's been like twenty some odd years afterwards, but just in the first fifteen years. The and in and uh, Henry Madava's ministry, I talked to him after the, his church received an impartation. He's had a million people come to the Lord. I know that through our ministry in Brazil and through the people we've touched, there's been you know over a million people in that nation that's come to the Lord through the ones that we have prayed for. So, uh, and there's been scores of thousands of churches that's been started, and when you take just and 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 when you say that this aspect that my life's been a part of that's impacted others and what happened at Toronto and the other ministries that came out of it, it's it's millions of people and scores of thousands of churches have been started, and lots of other people raised up, many of whom are now apostolic in themselves, mm-hmm. and others are just very powerful. Um, strong pastors and missionaries. How do you see the need now? I, I know one of the things that I'm also pursuing is good theology. And both you and I, we came from Baptist background. You came from more liberal. I came from more conservative. But we had to some degree of plumb line in regard to the word of God. And then when the fire hits, at least there is some basic understanding of the word of God. And now the fear out there is that 
both to the left and the right, people are falling and when when the spirit comes, when the fire comes, and a lot of the people that don't have perhaps a, a good foundation in the word of God. So I do know that higher education that you are pursuing, good theology, what is the importance of that and still the connection of that with revival? Well, I think bad theology can kill a revival it, because people... Uh, who have a better understanding of scripture that you know they they'll say well that's not right and so they they have difficulty eating the meat and spitting out the bones if there's too much bone in the fish you're eating you just it's just you don't want to eat it that's good you know and so i want to try to have it to where that that we're trying to be uh biblical scriptural uh but let in a radical understanding that Dr. John Ruthven talks about, who's my was our men, my mentor in the program and who still is in, involved with our seminary now. Mm. But the radical understanding of scripture, being able to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. You know, Leif, it's one thing to be there, and there are people, good people, uh, that preach from the Bible every week, but very seldom emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. Even in the series of sermons they preach, it's a little time emphasizing what the actual emphasis of Scripture is. So we want to raise up people that understands the Bible and understands the main emphasis of the Bible and, um, and, and, and able to read the Bible without gla theological glasses on of liberalism, which is what I was trained in, which causes people not to have expectation or faith because one of the presuppositions of liberalism is nothing happens supernaturally or cessationism, which is very conservative, even fundamentalist sometimes, but believes that uh, the miracles um, are not to be normative. Healing is not to be normative. Uh, they because they I start to say that the gifts of healing and miracles, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy no longer happen. That's that is the cessationist view. But it's not fair to say that they don't believe in miracles or healing because they would say we do. We believe it can be a sovereign thing in answer to prayer. But those gifts in lives of people, they say those don't happen. But God could answer prayer. Problem with that is this: when you believe that these things are not to be normative or regular, you have very little faith that they're going to happen. And it, that, that belief is one of the major reasons why people almost never see healing and miracles when that's their theology. So we, I'm committed to a, um, I'm committed to both word and spirit, as you said, uh, but we we let the word speak for itself, and I'm committed to what's called continue continualist or continuationist position. We believe all the gifts are still for today, and I I believe even uh, and that includes all the doma gifts of Ephesians four, mm -hmm. uh, verse eleven through thirteen. So we it's Jack Taylor was our spiritual father. He was a great man of God that wanted to bring word and spirit together. He and the, the men that he associated, Charles Cairn and R.T. Kendall and another generation of great Baptist men of God that had this same heart, all of whom influenced us to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, that and also um, 
I'm heavily influenced through John Wimber, but he was influenced by a Baptist scholar, American Baptist scholar, I believe it was, at Fuller Theological Seminary called a George Eldon Ladd, who, who basically had the strong emphasis, he was not the only one who had this, but this is the stream that I'm influenced by, of what's called kingdom now, not yet. That since Jesus came, he introduced the kingdom in his first incarnation. And it's to continue and grow and not get weaker, but get stronger until he comes back again. And so it's now, but it's not totally here. And it's, it's, and it won't be totally here. And it's, and it's like consummated complete form until Jesus comes himself and consummates his kingdom. Uh, but unto then we're in a battle. So it, and so, you know, that's part of the theology of which, we are a part of it, and it's strongly emphasized by uh, some 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 Baptists. Uh, I thank God for, you know, my college was a Baptist college. My seminary was a Baptist seminary, and then Methodist seminary for the doctrine. And and uh, so I have been influenced by different circles, uh, but it has been, I was exposed more to the liberal side. Oh, so, so I have no idea what happened there. My phone <laughs> just said, oh, cute. And have no idea why it said that. I've even got it on silence. So one time I was teaching Leif, and I was teaching it on in the in a, a course at a church. And as as I'm preaching, my phone comes on and says, "I don't understand what you're saying." <laughs> and it broke up the whole place. I mean, you everybody could hear it, you know. So anyway, that's that's kind of where we're coming from from a theological background. Um, and you know what I found? The, the seminary I went to for the Methodists, when I first went there, uh, it was noted for being very liberal. Mm-hmm. But within the first few weeks, some of the most liberal professors flip mm-hmm. once they were talking to the, the group that I gathered to be up students, including Roland Baker. And as they're listening to the stories, the president of the seminary, the, the, the main systematic theologian, um, uh, the, the main ac- uh, academic, uh, academic dean and professor of New Testament, and many others flip. And, and one story just to kind of show you how this will work. I think it's easier for liberals to become open to the Holy Spirit than it is fundamentalist. And, and, and the reason why one of the professors that was had not made the flip yet hadn't moved and and now the seminary wants to be known for renewal mm-hmm. and and uh, that we've been a part of now that we, you know we're starting our own and and it, and it's only because one of the professors kept saying prophesying to us from the day we were there you guys need to start your own seminary i'm oh. saying well that would hurt yours he said yeah but you guys need to start your own seminary i just feel like it's the lord and he just wouldn't let up so anyway there was this other professor. She was a Baptist background and had been a uh, kind of very, very conservative and then went very, very liberal. And it was running some of our students had to go through her class kind of was hard because she was very liberal and against the miracles and things. And so one of the meetings that um, the academic dean took her to and as the guy's praying and people are falling out. Now, I think as a kid, she's raised in Pentecostalism. 
but she said, I don't believe that. I grew up with that. I don't believe that. And so <laughs> my friend, uh, the academic dean said, why don't you just go up and let him pray for you? And he fi finally she acquiesced and went and <laughs> when it wasn't me, I actually don't remember who it was, but it, it's someone who believed in the power of God and uh, runs in our circles, prayed for her and she hit the floor and got up a changed woman. All of a sudden that all that she denied. Now she, oh, she's radically on fire for God. So, but here's the reason, my view of that. Liberals don't believe in the supernatural, but when they see the supernatural, they don't assume it's the devil. Mm. They assume it's God. On the other hand, if you're a fundamentalist has been raised in cessationism, even when you see the miraculous, there's a tendency because of your cessationist teaching to say, well, that's a lying sign and wonder that's supposed to lead astray the elect if it was possible based on Matthew 24. And so if you think these things are not for today and then you see it, instead of saying it's God, you say, well, that's the devil. And I always say, well, do you think what God did with Leif and a million people come to the Lord was the devil? And all those churches, you know, and groups and lighthouses of prayer that's being started and what happened with Heidi and all these others, that, that's the devil's work. All the 400 some odd people have been raised from the dead. That's the devil's work. All the, you know, I, I think to think that you just don't have any discernment at all. You just no. have to be really, really blind. Having eyes to see, you choose not to see. Yeah, I remember years ago, I was in Nampula, Mozambique, did a crusade, and we had a crippled Muslim in the meeting, and the limbs were straightened. That opened up, we had over 8,000 people saved just during a few days in Mozambique. But it was a group of independent fundamentalist Baptists that came, and I, and I want to honor them with suits and ties. And my team was so excited and showed them, the, they had put in a little video camera and showed on the video camera at that time period, look what happened. And here is the whole atmosphere change. And now people are believers and surrender to Jesus. You can hear them praying the sinner's prayer. And they said, they started with the same thing, that this must be the devil. No, no. My team was out. So they wanted me then to argue with them. And I met with them. And again, I'm so surprised. I said, it is so strange that when these people, this person is coming up with a wheelchair in the name of Jesus Christ. And people are praying the sinner's prayer. They're accepting him now as the Lord of their life. So when those good things happen, you think. It is the devil that you will rather give the devil the credit than Jesus. But I realized I couldn't argue anymore with them because it, it, it was just on a level, intellectual level that they wouldn't want to receive, was not open to receive. Uh, but I still remember how it saddened my heart that even yeah. when you're seeing these things and you see the fruits and the evidences of it, and Jesus was being lifted up and Jesus being glorified, and they themselves. Self, they would rather believe this must be the devil than this and that, Jesus. You know, Leif, and that's where I think that when they won't accept the testimony because of the way they've been taught and their way of looking at scripture, that's why I think the book by John Ruthven on, on the cessation of the charismata, the Protestant polemic on post-biblical miracles is so important because it actually tears that argument down from scripture and from history and gives them an insight to see, yeah, that, that is a great, that's the gold standard. Mm -hmm. And it just deals with the, 
the scriptures and helps them understand. For example, B.B. Warfield, who is the like the zenith of that argument, uh, his his view of history, the way he he dealt with history, both right after the the post biblical era and then the way he dealt with the the Bible. He has two approaches to history, and one of the things he was one of the biggest uh, opponents, and, and and I bless his name for this, that he really fought liberalism. Mm-hmm. And was committed to the scripture, but he didn't realize that his the, the the arguments that the liberals used for dealing with the scripture miracles, he turned around and used those same arguments to deny the miracles in the after the New Testament. He used liberal arguments to reject these, while he wouldn't use those arguments here. And it's that's an inconsistent approach to history, and. I think when we when you begin to look at the arguments and unpack what Ruthven did, it really helps people then to say, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe what I've been taught all my life, maybe there's some weaknesses to it, biblically speaking. And that's mm-hmm. why I I'm I'm not against education. I'm not, I don't think. And I don't try to get every one of my spiritual sons to you know, get a lot of education. I want them to know the word. I want them, there, there are sons, I, some of my spiritual sons, I, I just said, you were made for this. You need to do this. And then there's others that I felt like that's not the case in their case. But we need in our movements to have, make sure that we do have good biblical scholars, pastors who, and and mainly for me, it's more than the institution of let's, let's be able to teach in seminaries and Bible schools though. That is part of it. Mm -hmm. I want to have really, really solid pastors who interpret the word in, in the right way, in the sense of we're not just allegorizing everything. And, and, and instead of exegeting drawing out of the text what it was meant to say, putting our own interpretation into the text. I want, and, and, and getting it in off to some really, really weird things. For example, a lot of the things in one of the early healers, who was a Baptist, by the way, background, or he was Baptist, um, he just got really bad, bad theology toward mm-hmm. the end. And it discredited so much of what was going on. Now, even William Brown and uh, that's who I'm talking about. Okay, (laughs) that's who I'm talking about. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and and but you know, one of the nice things that Ruthven helped me to understand is the main reason the miracles were given were to express the gospel. They are part of the good news, not necessarily to authenticate every doctrine that church teaches. It wasn't given to say. Miracles are to prove correct doctrine between the Lutherans and the Reformed or between the Catholics and the Protestants, you know, um, between the Nazarenes and the Methodists, you know. No, that's not what it was for. It was given to authenticate the message of the gospel itself, which is really, there's a big difference between the gospel and then all the systems of doctrine that we know that denominations have. And and this is what's so important. A simple person who's learned how to understand how God speaks to them, mm. learns how, has learned how that 
God builds faith that has learned how to receive words of knowledge, has learned how to just has strong faith because of a history of God. Having seen the faithfulness of God, they now have more faith in God's faithfulness. So they may not be um, the most articulate theologians, and they may have some stuff that I would say was I don't agree with. But that doesn't mean I have to reject the reality of the miracles that God did through them. Simple childlike faith in the gospel is what is preach the gospel and have and, and, and you, you can have simple faith and God can really use them. You know, in Mozambique, there's some people that's raised the dead there that really doesn't know hardly anything. Biblically speaking about doctrines and theology and, and, and Heidi's really working, you know, we're, I'm going to be working with Heidi to, and to help uh, them with their university mm -hmm. uh, because they do right now, the Mozambican government has just told her that all of her pastors have got to have three years of college uh, level to be ordained. It's a new law there. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, we want to come in and, and work with her uh, on that. I met, well, that, I'm off subject, but I believe it's important that we have a well-balanced, uh, educated, and emphasized not just education, but holiness, consecration, not a double lifestyle. You know, that there is this um, uh, consecrated life, and, I, and, I, and so it's, it's just not education. But and 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 by the way, seminaries or something were you know they were nicknamed cemeteries, mainly for the reason that they a lot of people went in with fire and came out without fire, uh, like they had a blanket put on the fire and put it out. I want or or they had faith and they lost it in school. Uh, I, I the the seminary I'm a part of we want we want it to be you have fire and when you come out you're on more fire. The relationship, you know, one of the neat things about education is not just the teachers you have, it's the people that's in the school with you. And I had a, a, a couple of people who had been in several other seminaries, and they told me the biggest difference, including my son-in-law, the biggest difference is the student body, mm. that most of them have been in ministry for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, some, most of them at least 10. And the, a, a lot of them are coming out of, of uh, the renewal movement itself. And so they have seen these things, and, and this is a reality to them. And, and so they're coming in on fire and consecrated and dedicated. And I've had other professors and, 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 and leaders of other seminaries said, where do you find such students. Mm. So I, I'm, I'm maybe talking too much here. No, no, it's good. I, I, but I think I'm sitting there when I'm looking at just thinking about another side of Randy Clark connected to this. And because I'm, I know John Wimber said, I only trust people that walk with a limb. And one yeah. of the things I'm interested also, uh, the other side of Randy Clark, I mean, there's a brilliant theologian, brilliant thinker, a spiritual father, leading movement. There's this side of Randy, the childlikeness. I've been with you in different settings, 
there's a humility. If somebody was saying something about you, and I, of course, could step in and describe, and I said, let me give you three words why, why I would go to the bank on Randy. Honor, the way that you honor, the way you honor God, that you honor people. Hunger. I, I, I mean, I don't know anybody that I've seen as much as you see, but I still see hunger in you. And how do we maintain hunger when you have a table full of food every day? And then humility. Those are the three things that when I'm seeing Brandy Clark bought as a friend, as a spiritual father in my life, I want to honor the way that Randy honor. I want to continue to have hunger and humility. Could you describe how do you, now you're a little older than me, you've been in this whole journey, how do you continue to honor? How do you continue to maintain hunger and the humility when especially you've accomplished everything that you have done? And I know if I squeeze you, humility comes out of you. That's 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 who you are. And this is my 26 years ago, I met you, but for the last 20 years, hundreds of times we've been around each other over the years. And that's what I'm left with of Randy's special sauce. <laughs> well, I think, Leif, the humility part, I'll start with that, is if you could see where I was born and raised, it's kind of like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You would say, can anything good come out of this place? The likelihood of ever, well, anyway, it's, it's a miracle. Secondly, you know, I'm the first person in my family. I'm the oldest son, but I'm the first person in my family in, in, to go male, to go past the eighth grade. Um, I, now my brother and sister got bachelor's degrees, but I was the first one to go past the eighth grade. Um, when God called me to do this, I was pastoring a little Baptist church in a little village of 120 people. And I didn't have 120 average attendance. There's not, the call of God was not based upon what I had accomplished. It was a sovereign call. I, uh, in, in seminary, my first semester, uh, I went through a divorce, I was kicked out of seminary, my wife had been unfaithful, I was kicked out of seminary, and told um, not to come back, literally, literally, this is for your own good, um, you're, you could have been pastor, I was um, I did really well in school, and they, they said, you're a bright student. By the time you'd get out of seminary, you could be out of law school. You will never have a big church like you could have had. Your career is over. This is the worst thing that could happen to you, and we don't want you to waste your time or our Southern Baptist money. Don't come back. Go to law school. So when I stand in front of thousands of people and I realize I have an international ministry and get to speak in some of the largest churches in the world, and there are accolades sometimes given, I'm reminded of that moment. Wow. And I'm reminded of I should not be able to do this according to man. But you know, Leif, I believed, I, I faced it. I, I did, I, I kind of flunked the test at first because I was so hurt and so wounded and, and, and so discouraged that I, God had to pick me up. And, 
But what it was, and it was involved a vision, don't have time to go into that, but it's in my book, Fighting Fires. But um, I chose at one moment, at the lowest part of, of that darkest moment, I chose to believe in God's call on my life rather than man's rejection. Wow. And I remember praying, Lord, if it means I have, I don't have any of these big churches. And for the rest of my life, I just pastor a small country church or a small little church somewhere and have to do another job on the side to be bivocational. I want to be the best minister I can and as faithful as I can be in that capacity. Um, and that was a turning point. Uh, and, and so it's humble, it's humility. It causes you to be humble when you know the grace of God on your life. I always tell people, they ask you, how do you stay humble when in light of all, all that's happened? I said, I pray for the sick a lot. And, what <laughs> yeah. I mean by that, and yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> those that don't know, we, we pray for people all the time and don't see anything happen. And then we pray for the next one and a miracle takes place. And we understand what we saw in the first ones when nothing happened. That's what I could do. And when that miracle took place, that's what he does. And so, you know, it's not you. You know, it really is God. It's, and, and the hunger is about reputations, I think. And, and just trying to always make sure that you're concerned not so much about your reputation, but his. Mm. I think that's key. Wow. And so... When there's been times late that I was in like in uh, um, a large church in Guatemala City, and there was good things happening. But I remember, and, and I remember praying this actually a lot in different places. Lord, I thank you for everything you're doing, but your son Jesus is worthy of more honor than this, more glory than this. Because I know that the number one way God glorifies his name is through what he does, especially in the miraculous and healings. And it's like, God, the name of Jesus was held in high honor in Ephesus in Acts 19, it says, because of all the healings and miracles and deliverance that had taken place. And so it's kind of like, I don't want my focus to be on my honor. I want it on Jesus' honor. And for I really want some, I want to see you do so. I want to be used mm -hmm. so that his name is held in high honor and he gets glory. And, and so that's why I'm jealous of the testimony. I'm jealous of, and I get frustrated when people get healed and they, they don't acknowledge it because, you know, I tell them, you know, if I touch, if I take credit for what God's doing, I'm touching his glory and that's not good. But if you don't give credit for what he's done, you're touching his glory, and that's not good. It's all about his, his glory. You know, when we sing that song, glorify that name, glorify that name, glorify that name in all the earth, <laughs> I, I sometimes get, I sometimes chuckle inside, and I think, wow, cessations, they don't know what they're singing. <laughs> because the number one way in the Bible that he does glorify his name is through what he does. And secondly, the testimony that people give of what they've seen him do. So beautiful. I just sensing the presence is it? wow. And I, I would like you to pray for us, Randy, just if you wouldn't mind, just uh, I'm just both the honor and the hunger and humility, but also the other area that is just connected to honor. I've watched you 
with the, the most famous, I've seen you with the poorest. I've seen you, and this is where I start crying, but when I came out of a treatment center in California, uh, broken, I've had broken neck, broken back, spent nine years using opiates and then started to abuse it just to be able to maintain what I did around the world. Crash landed, ended up in a treatment center. The first place I ministered was with you and Bill Johnson at Hosanna Lutheran Church. And I was broken. And uh, just, and I didn't know that you knew that Jack Taylor had called you about it. And still, at my worst, at my darkest, at my lowest, the way you honored me, marked me forever. And the same with Bill Johnson. So that's kind of a, a, a covenantal thing in me that, uh, and it just, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to, to not losing it. I have actually crying right now. So I'm saying that in regard to the way that you honor and the way you honor me, not at my best, when we passed the million mark, I have that picture on the wall. I actually was on the stage when all these people received it. But at my lowest, that described everything about you to me. Well, I believed in God's call on you. And, uh, and I knew your story. And I knew that God was going to continue using you. And, uh, and, and I thank God for Papa Jack. <laughs> and his influence on your life and to help. Uh, and I brag on you all over you and Heidi. And I always say I'm, I'm, I'm the cheerleader of those that's <laughs> the more apostolic, you know, I'm, I'm the cheerleader and, uh, you know, I just think that, Oh yeah, I do want to pray. Cause you asked me to pray. I just realized I didn't pray. haven't prayed. But I, 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 you mentioned that saying uh, that Wimber, John Wimber, who was my in, big influence on my life. And I remember once he told me, Randy, I don't trust anyone that doesn't have a limp. Mm -hmm. And the context of that was he wanted to see ministers who have been tried, who have uh, been hurt or who have been wounded and or who have had great obstacles or difficulties. There's been some, there, there, there's since maybe since even broken. And yet they came out of that still in faith, still consecrated or reconsecrated. And uh, in that brokenness is part of the, often the compassion and the, um, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I tell them people the same thing. I, I don't trust anybody's got all the answers and don't have a limp, doesn't have a limp. You know, I want to see that when it comes to when you've fallen to the ground, that uh, you believe that your own message of grace enough to, to get up, receive grace mm -hmm. and believe to go forward. Um, wow. So I'll pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I, I just sense that I want to bless people that's watching. And I pray that you would give them a revelation of the grace of God. Yeah. And you would give them a revelation of your desire that Jesus would be honored on this earth. And his name would be held in high honor. 
uh, even as we meditate and ruminate on the upper room discourse of Jesus, 14 through 16, and then high priestly prayer in John 17, this whole aspect of the glory and how important it was, and that he wants to receive glory through us. And so, Lord, sometimes what you do through us brings you glory in the miracles, and sometimes just being faithful in hard times brings glory to you. So we pray that you give us grace and divine enablement to walk and not quit in the hard times, to get up when we're knocked down, to believe when to believe in you when others don't believe in us, in Jesus' name. And I pray for people who are watching to be to be drawn to a faith that you want to empower us. You, but you do want us to walk in humility. You did say you would oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble, and that we were to humble ourselves. And in, in due season, you would you would exalt us, lift us up. So, Lord, we pray for leadership uh, of humility and of, of also vision, being able to, Lord, believe. Uh, in your call on our life, when it's so big, it embarrasses us, and it's because it's not happened yet, but we believe it. So in Jesus' name, God, I pray for those that's watching, for those that may be discouraged, for those that may have been broken, for those that's thinking about quitting, they would realize it's not your will for them to quit. If you called them, you knew what was going to happen. So I pray they give them faith in your call, faith in the experience they know you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Randy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif on social media at Leif Hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com.